When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Hello, Chris. Oh, hello, Eusebius. Good morning. Wonderful to be in conversation with you again after my two weeks' absence. And we're starting with a story that is absolutely fascinating before we let our listeners ask you whatever they want, which is around uh, leukemia therapy. Yeah, that's right. Now, one of the most common cancers in childhood is acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL. Now, the bad news is that this is pretty common. About one in five of the one in four paediatric cancers is down to this blood cancer. But the good news is that most people, by that I mean about 80% of people, can be cured with conventional therapy that we have at the moment, which is great. But for the one in five people who can't be cured or who relapse, in other words, their disease comes back again, the prospects are much more grim. Mm. But not now, because there's a very interesting um, study which has been published, and this new treatment by Novartis, the Swiss-based drug company, has been approved in America to treat people who have got this particular form of blood cancer and who have either not responded to conventional therapy or they have relapsed. Now, it's called Kimria, this treatment, and it's not a pill. This is actually a technique, and it's incredible. What they do is you take blood from the person who's got the cancer, you extract a certain class of white blood cell called a T lymphocyte, you then genetically manipulate the cell in the laboratory culture dish, adding to it the genetic instructions to make what's called a chimeric antigen receptor, or CAR, which is then expressed by the cell and sits on the surface of the cell. This new receptor recognises a specific marker which is only present on the surface of cancer cells but is not present anywhere else in the body Mm. and it is hooked up inside the cell to the cell's weapon machinery that it normally uses to kill bad things in the body so once these cells have been changed in this way they're re-infused into the patient they then patrol around in the patient's bloodstream until they bump into these rogue cancer cells they recognize them using this chimeric antigen receptor on their surface this then detonates the death program in the cell and it kills the cancer cell. And because of the way the immune system works, every time it bumps into something that it recognises, it gets a signal to make more of itself. So these immune cells then grow and divide, and they amplify. So as you fight off your tumour, your immune system gets better and better and better at doing it until you run out of cancer for it to fight, and then the immune system just backs off and says, right, my job is done. And in a recent trial, which is what uh, has led to the FDA in America approving this agent, of a group of individuals who had failed their normal therapy for ALL, 80% of them achieved remission. In other words, what we would regard as potentially cured by this treatment. And it's just been announced this week that this is approved for use in America. Now, that's the good news. The bad news, guess how much the price tag is. This will make people swoon. Mm. In order to treat a person, 
it's about half a million US dollars. Oh, and the reason it's so expensive is because you're doing this on a person-to-person -person basis. Mm. It's not like making a pill and selling it to millions. It's taking a person's own cells, manipulating them personally for that person, and then putting them back in. That comes at a very hefty price tag, and in this case, <laughs> more than half a million. Yeah, that's quite a lot. Hopefully, that will eventually be driven down. If you want to have a question you want to put to Chris, now is your chance. Remember, it gets very busy. We've got about 15 minutes with him. Fastest fingers first. In Johannesburg, you can put a question to the Naked Scientist. Dial us on 11 Double eight three zero seven zero two, and Cape Tonians, you can put your questions to the Naked Scientist on the number zero two one double four six zero five six seven. Also, SMS us your questions alternatively three one seven zero two or three one five six seven. In fact, let's start today from the SMS line. Chris, yes, one for you from Corny in Rudapur. Corny says, please ask Chris, is it possible to three D print rhino horn? in order to flood the market and save the rhino? It's a good idea, but I don't think it's going to work in the same way that we can 3D print lots of things, but people know they're not authentic. Um, and therefore, people are considering other options, which is things like dyeing the horns a funny colour mm. so that they're not attractive anymore. What is rhino horn? It's, it's the rhino equivalent of your fingernails. It's keratin, which is the same stuff your hair is made from in a very condensed form, which grows out from the end of its nose in the same way that your fingernails grow out from the end of your fingers. And it forms this hard, tough thing that the animal uses to defend itself and, and make scrapes in the, in the soil. Um, certain people like to use those things for various other things. It would be very hard to 3D print that in the same way that the rhino makes it and make something authentic looking. I think the other strategies of making them a funny colour or, or even removing some of them so that they, they're not there as an attraction to yes. the poachers is better. But, but overall, surely educating people that actually preserving the, the life that we have is much better than destroying it because actually what people are increasingly realising is that these animals have enormous value to countries like Southern African countries because of ecotourism. If you have the animals alive, they're much more valuable because tourists en masse have a lot more money than one poacher can earn by selling one bit of that animal once. Mm. And as people begin to realise this, actually they are becoming uh, much better at conserving their species. But getting the message across is crucial. So I think we need a multi-pronged attack. And one of them is, in the short term, make these things less attractive to people who want to poach them. Longer term, we must invest in educating people as to why these animals are more valuable alive than dead. Absolutely. 16 minutes after 10. Sibu so your question. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm good. Hello, Chris. Chris is very Hello. well, Sibusi, sir. Go and for it. We're listening for to you. a tough, interesting, okay. quirky question. Uh, Go ahead. Yes, I wanted just to check. What I'm getting out of my car, it shocked me. What caused Okay, Chris, you've answered that question a million uh -uh. times before. Want to have another I, go? I couldn't hear it very I think it's well. One it was, about could you just repeat it? Was static when he gets okay. out of his car. Right, okay. Yes, we have talked about this in the past. And what happens is that as you drive your car along, because your car is a, a metal box, but it's on insulators, the rubber wheels, anything that accumulates in terms of charge on the metal can't escape down to earth very easily. And as your car drives through the air, 
then occasionally it picks up charges from the air molecules which are rubbing against the car in exactly the same way that if you take a balloon and you rub a balloon on your hair, you can then stick the balloon on the wall. And the reason is that you get some, some charges are transferred off of you onto the balloon, giving the balloon a net charge. And because the balloon's an insulator, the charge can't flow away. And when you bring the charged balloon close to the wall, it then sticks because of the attraction between the charges on the balloon and charges in the wall. Well, your car's no different. It accumulates charge, especially on dry days, uh, from the air. And then when you step out of the car, you're at a different charge distribution to the car. You're at a different electrical potential. So you touch the outside of the car. And because your charge is different to the car's charge then some electrons will flow between the two bodies in order to try to balance out the disequilibrium. And that's the static shock that you feel. Great stuff. Thank you so much for answering that one. Bonnie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Bonnie. Hello. Yes, hi. What's your question? Oh, thank you. I'd like to know how a cat can eat and breathe and purr all at the same time. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Thank you, Bonnie. Um, no one actually knows how, how they do this. Um, but basically, it's, it's fairly easy to breathe and eat at the same time because we do that. Um, and, and in fact, I was, when I was in Australia uh, about three months ago, I watched this chap do this incredible bit of circular breathing, which is this whole idea of if you want to play the didgeridoo and not pause for breath, you've got to get into a cycle of being able to breathe through your nose while continuously blowing out through your mouth. And then once you've got a lung full of air, transfer the airflow back from your lungs back to your mouth again. So, the, the, you know, we're all pretty good at doing this because we all talk and eat and breathe and manage to stay alive when we're, when we're having meal times. Um, how actually cats additionally purr on top of all that? I haven't the foggiest. <laughs> I think you have to find a cat and ask them because uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone actually knows exactly how they do it. But I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a little bit of research and I'll find out. And just t talking about doing a bit of research and finding out, someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, whether an African and an Indian elephant are interfertile. I did poke around on this. I also spoke to a vet friend in Australia um, who's a contributor to our Naked Scientist Forum. And we actually dug out some examples of people who have managed to crossbreed Indian and African elephants, but the outcomes haven't been very successful, as in there were offspring, they weren't healthy, they didn't live very long. Now, it's not clear whether they didn't live very long because they were unhealthy, um, or they just didn't live mm. very long because they were unhealthy and they were unhealthy because they were interbred between these two different species. Mm. They are two different species, but they are close enough that they can interbreed, but we don't actually know why they, they don't successfully do that very often. And it may just be that it's a very small number of examples and so actually just by chance those animals were unhealthy or there could be genetically something more fundamentally going wrong. Poking around, he said. Hello, Patrick. Hey, how are you? We have never been better, Patrick. What's your question? My question is, since the universe is growing every second and then it does not stop growing, but what lies outside the universe? Chris? <laughs> I'm getting all the easy questions this week, aren't I? The answer, Patrick, is we just don't know. And um, it, it boggles your mind to think that the universe is expanding. And if it's expanding, it must be expanding into something. Well, what's it expanding into? 
We don't know. Now, the philosophical escape from this question is to say, well, the universe is everything and therefore it's not expanding into anything because everything doesn't exist until the universe has grown to become it. Um, But it's certainly unarguable that based on the equations we have, the measurements we have, the Hubble constant, um, named in honour of Edwin Hubble, that the universe is growing and the older it gets the faster it grows and the thing that's powering that is is some entity that we also don't understand called dark energy Mm. and the more of the universe there is the more of this dark energy there is and the more dark energy there is the harder it pushes the universe apart which is why it is growing Mm. that is the limit at the moment of what we can say with any degree of certainty. 21 minutes after 10. Let's give Chris a bit of a breather. We have him for another 10 minutes. Uh, let's see how many more wins you can score. Jeez, it's rare. Twice in one show, he doesn't know. Oh, double one, double eight, three, oh, seven, oh, two. Who's going to ask him another fascinating question? And in Cape Town on 021 double four six oh five six seven. This is the weekly Naked Scientist. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. 24 minutes after 10. Mark in Midrand, welcome to the show. What's your question? Uh, I need to find out, Chris, <clears throat> excuse me, with regard to Wil- Wil- Wilma Rudolph, uh, won three gold medals in the uh, Olympics in 1960. She was trapped with pneumonia, double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and polio from the waist down. How possible is it for a polio patient to recover, run, and walk? Hello. Well, what an interesting question. Polio is very much in the news at the moment because, thankfully, we think we are as close as we've ever been to eradicating this illness. Polio is a virus. It's part of the enterovirus family. These are very small viruses that get in through your mouth, infect you through your intestines. In the majority of people, don't cause anything more than cold symptoms, but in some people, get into the bloodstream, get into the spinal cord, and can then attack the motor neurons, which are the nerve cells supplying your muscles, in your spinal cord, and the virus grows in those motor nerve cells and kills them. This leaves a person with an acute paralysis. Any uh, motor neuron that's killed deprives the muscle that it supplies of the ability to move voluntarily. Now, if people make it through the acute period, and often people with this uh, acute syndrome with polio die of respiratory problems because the motor nerves that supply their muscles of breathing, their diaphragm, but also their chest muscles, get paralysed and they can't breathe properly. And this is where the whole concept of those iron lungs came from that you sometimes see pictures of, where a machine would breathe for the person. Now, not all the motor nerve cells in a polio victim die. Some survive, and thankfully, if there are surviving nerve cells they can rewire the roots into the muscle because some of the muscle will still have its nerve supply and the intact working motor nerves can branch and send connections into the bits of the muscle that that were denervated deprived of their nerve supply by the death of their motor nerve cell so you get the muscle action back again up to a point but there is now a new phenomenon called post-polio syndrome. And because that motor nerve cell, which is supplying much more muscle territory than it did before, is probably having to work a lot harder than it was before to make up for the missing motor nerves, it tends to die off, we think, a bit sooner than it otherwise would, possibly because of sort of lifetime stress. So then people can get a recurrence of polio symptoms many years or decades later. Not everybody, but this is definitely a defined phenomenon. So the answer with reference to the person you signed, who I, I don't know who she is or, or um, who that person is, but good, good on them for what they achieved. What probably happened is you can have some acute polio, you will lose some motor nerve supply to your muscles, 
the surviving motor nerves will resupply later as you recover the muscles that were deprived of their nerve supply and this gives you back your muscle function and with good training and physiotherapy and hard work you can get back a lot of the function that you would have had before not in everybody and some people are left with with permanent problems but but mm. some people have a, a less severe bout of polio in the first place and that may well have been what happened to her mm. we really have some beautiful fascinating interesting questions today chris yes yes one that's both interesting and fun on twitter felicity wants to know from you morning chris my daughter from a very young age sleeps with her eyes slightly open if i stand in front of her would she be seeing me and i tell you why the question makes me chuckle a bit chris <laughs> because i remember as a kid some adults uh, having the same phenomenon and i desperately wanted to know the answers too late now so that i would know if i sneak next to them to steal a piece of chocolate or something else belonging to them whether they'd see me i think it's very unlikely because uh, when you go to sleep um what, what's actually happening is your brain's putting itself into a non-receptive state. So even though there's signals going into your brain from all over your body, your brain's ignoring them. And by this I mean you haven't stopped, for example, feeling the bed sheets against your chest. Mm. You haven't stopped, for instance, noticing that it's a bit cooler or a bit warmer. Your brain just suppresses a lot of the flow of information into the brain. It sort of disconnects itself. It's rather like taking the monitor from your computer and just unplugging the cable on the back. The, the signals might still be coming into the monitor, but there's no picture on the screen because you've disconnected the input or you're choosing to ignore it. You've chosen a different signal source. So the answer is she probably isn't going to consciously see you, which is perhaps a relief for Father Christmas, because in Father <laughs> Christmas calls, you don't want to get Father Christmas being caught. Um, and because, of course, children who try and stay awake and catch Father Christmas get into all kinds of trouble. So that, that's probably a bonus. So no, I don't think it's very likely that, that she'll actually see you. And uh, it's more likely that the brain is, is ignoring any images that are coming in. And the eyelids are probably largely down over the seeing bits of the eye where the light has to where the pupil is anyway. So I think it's very, very unlikely. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Have a beautiful next seven days. We'll speak to you again next Thank you. week, Chris. Bye, you CBS. Cheers. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. Much appreciated. Sorry we couldn't get to all of your calls, but of course we will do so next week. We'll keep some of them as well, including some fascinating ones on the SMS line. Megan, I think we must squeeze that one in next week for Chris. Why do people scream when they fall from the highest building? I don't know which I enjoy more. His incredible, incredible brilliance and generosity of sharing his knowledge or some of your weird, quirky, interesting questions. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.